Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you, and I always like to give a little preview of what's coming up. So first up, later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's pretty concerned about her brother's dating relationship and how it relates to her mom, um, because when her brother comes over with his girlfriend, the mom lets them stay over and sleep together. And so our listener is wondering, uh, do I need to address this, like confront my mom about this? What does this look like? And so Pastor Mark Bates is going to be here to weigh in on that. And then for our culture, Pastor Jonathan Evans is here. You know him uh, as many things, including the son of Dr. Tony Evans, but he's also the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, he has actually written a book on finding your life's purpose when maybe you think you know what it is, but then it doesn't quite pan out. And so who of us has not been there? So definitely stay tuned for that. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and uh, this is going to be a fun conversation because today is the NFL kickoff game between the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, and uh, actually, producer John had to tell me that. I didn't know that while we were taping, but (laughs) apparently he knows, so here we go. Uh, Be informed. But anyway, uh, we thought it'd be a fun opportunity to just talk about sports, but not just sports, but like, (laughs) this reminds me of like, we did this not too long ago about pets. Like, do people just love pets too much. So people got riled up about their pets. And now we're going to talk about sports. And I have invited three friends, Scott, Brett, and Tracy to the table. Hey, y'all. Hello. Good to have you. Okay, you are here because we're assuming that you are on some level of unhealth related to sports (laughs) fandom. And we're just putting it out there. So you're going to have to defend yourself against this because I'm going to make accusatory statements about oh, this. Okay. Now I know why I no, was chosen. <laughs> you weren't I didn't know those were the circumstances. I know. Yeah, you were not I just came up with that right now. I just thought today I'm going to get really – I didn't sleep well last night, so I'm going to get super weird and aggressive. So anyway <laughs> – No, this is actually going to be really fun because I want you to start off by, we're just going to have a general, put it on the table here. How much of a sports fan are you? What sport, sports, plural, or whatever, are you into? And when you talk about following such sports, what are you actually doing? What does this look like? So, Scott, why don't you kick it off? Well, I really love badminton. (laughs) Hey, that's my sport. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, go Uh, ahead. Say your sport and be honest. Okay. okay. Honestly, I I do love football, mostly NFL football. Okay. And I love Major League Baseball. Okay. Those, Particular those are teams? Two. Are you loyal? I have teams. Okay. I'm a loyal St. Louis Cardinal. Okay. Lifetime fan okay. in for baseball. That's because of hometown? And I or... sort of admit that I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Oh, okay. Um, multiple teams. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I do have multiple Rod, teams. Rod, our engineer, is I've, cheering in the back. I okay. follow the Oregon Ducks. Oh, in okay. college football, Got it. used to go to their games. So I, I kind of have some teams in a lot of different sports. Okay, that's pretty good. And what was the other question? Was there another one? Well, just like what does following sports look like for you? Are you talking, you attend games, I, you watch on yeah, TV? What a little bit doing? of attending, um, watching on TV when they're available. Yeah. I usually don't buy subscriptions to watch okay. whole seasons because then I could become addicted to it. And so I... So you're watching. Use it. some restraint there a little bit. I don't know. Do any normal people go to NFL games? Because aren't they like three, four, five hundred dollars a they ticket? They can be it's, very expensive. They're, they're yeah. pretty expensive. In fact, I saw that a preseason ticket for a Las Vegas Raiders football game, which that's that's my team. Oh, okay. Two hundred and seventy-two dollars. That's the cheapest thing for a preseason that's game. That's insane. It, it's pretty crazy. 
So, okay, we've got some Las Vegas Raiders specifically. Las Vegas Loyal Raiders, Dems. yes. So talk yes. about so, where that came from. So pro football, that's that's my passion. I, I love a lot of sports. I'll follow uh, the NBA, especially when it gets to playoffs, NHL. But, um, yeah, I, NFL is where, where it's at for me and, and Las Vegas Raiders for sure. And I tell people, you know, I, I – don't love other teams as much because Uh it wouldn't be healthy for me to (laughs) get that engaged with other sports teams with what I put in (laughs) or I have put in the past with uh with the Raiders so okay um and what that has looked like I've only gone to a handful of games in person in my life but you know just following training camp it it has come up this year so just following all of the news and everything as it as it comes out and then Mm -hmm. uh getting into the games obviously uh and and just yeah just keeping up with the team okay and you kept up i mean obviously this isn't a new thing you followed them to las vegas you were a raiders fan prior you know oakland and past lives yeah that's exactly right i've always been a raiders fan since I, i grew up i i did not grow up locally with them i grew yeah. up in kansas oh, so wow. all of my okay. my family are chiefs fans actually so oh. i i rebelled i okay. guess in that way um but I, I picked the raiders uh, when they were the oakland raiders and uh yeah i did follow them to las vegas so they could move to saskatchewan and i'd be a raiders fan <laughs> okay <laughs> well start coming up with your defense for why everyone thinks that you as a fan would be a thug okay because that's the impression <laughs> that i've heard about raiders fans so brett Get ready for that. Okay. Okay, Tracy, talk to us about your sports. I am a college football girl. I am a Georgia Bulldog fan since probably I could walk. Okay. I grew up in Georgia. And because I grew up in Georgia, I also am quite a golf fan. So oh, yeah. I love... Oh, that's right. You actually grew up in Augusta. I grew up in Augusta okay. and um, went to the Another Masters. unattainable like many sport times. and venue <laughs> but you're saying you went to the masters many times how'd you get in Every, we always had tickets oh um because goodness. we lived there and okay local um, benefits okay but yeah i love the golf that was what my father and i did growing up and he was a little obsessive on the sports thing he turned our backyard into a putting green oh but, <laughs> all right <laughs> Well, at least has purpose. That's good. It does. Now, I feel like being a Southerner, you're more about the college football in general. Like, why yes. is it so big down there? College. I mean, all these people with like Roll Tide and random chants of various schools. It's definitely different from here. Okay. Um, it's just you start. Um, I mean, our sport when we always got together in the neighborhood was always football, girls and guys. And you always had your team. I don't remember not having my Georgia football team okay so it's just it's bred into you I guess yeah okay how would you guys define because people will loosely say you know or just throw it about like oh you know well they're obsessed or they're just a super fan or they're whatever what like when when are you just like a healthy fan of sports or a specific team and when what are the characteristics of crossing over to the other side and of course this doesn't (laughs) apply to anyone here but all your friends and other people that you've observed who are the crazy fans what are we talking about well i would say it it has definitely applied to me in the past (laughs) okay thank you for Uh, owning that brett i appreciate i didn't want to be the one to say i'll be i'll be honest hi i'm brett yeah exactly exactly i'm an obsessed fan that's how it feels sometimes but uh yeah i think for me it's just uh, I guess obsessing over something is uh, just thinking about it just too, too much, right? Um, sometimes it can be easy to do, but uh, 
I guess uh, your head is kind of where your heart's at at times. And so if you're like, man, I, I'm just reading all the news, I'm I'm keeping up on my team, It's it becomes, if you're thinking about it too much, it can almost seem, I think, as part of a perspective that it's like life or death, whether they win or lose kind of a thing. And that mm-hmm. that can make you not a super pleasant person to be around when the team loses. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, that's really how I would define it, is the, the obsession is how, how are you treating those around you mm-hmm. um, when, uh, you know, maybe it's not going your way with your team, right? Are you still treating everyone around you with respect, even though it stinks when your team loses? I mean, yeah. uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to feel that way, mm-hmm. but it's just how you're uh, acting out of that feeling. And then, you know, in Psalm 1, it, it talks about meditating on God's law day and night. And I feel it, it can be easy, at least for me, to meditate on sports mm-hmm. day and night <laughs> at times. So mm-hmm. that that's what, I guess, being obsessed about sports looks like, you know, checking the phone yeah. when you wake up in the morning. Hey, what's <laughs> the the most random little piece of news about my team that I, I have to know? Yeah, that's that's what I think of. It's interesting because the whole like time element too, like I notice, you know, in the fall, it's always like, because I've kind of gotten into watching NFL football some, and it's always, you know, here in mountain time, there's always that 11 a.m. game and you're at church and you're like, who's playing at 11 a.m.? Because the pews are kind of empty right now. You know, it looks a little dicey and it's kind of making that decision of like, okay, am I going to just, you know, uh, am I going to watch it later or do I need to be in the moment or whatever? And so we all make our little judgments, you know, so. So that's that's why they created the DVR. Well, that's very true. Yeah. So I can record and watch whenever I want. I know. So but... I relate to Brett. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just admit that I was pretty addicted to sports growing up mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid. I loved the Dallas Cowboys because of Tom Landry, mm-hmm. Roger Staubach, watching, you know, those guys and hearing their Christian testimonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad got to meet them. And just uh, reflecting on that, you know, I just really was drawn to it. I don't know why I was drawn to football, Mm -hmm. but then it it turned to baseball. I lived in the heartland of the the country and went to St. Louis Cardinal baseball games. And then later, as a teenager, I worked for an affiliate and began to do interviews at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. So I got really close to the game. And I, especially in sports, like to follow Christian players Mm -hmm. today. But as a kid, I was keeping stats I was listening to the radio at 1030 at night for West Coast games, you know, mm-hmm. when I had school the next day. And uh, but just probably a lot like Brett, just keeping the stats, following the team and those kinds of things. And it really in fact, in sixth grade, one of my teachers said wrote it on my report card to my parents. It would be nice if Scott would write a report on something <laughs> other than a sports figure. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, I guess. So that's so funny you say that because um, I feel like in for me, when I'm watching sports, I become like this Wikipedia nightmare because I'm so like interested in the stories behind the players. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh, did you know that they're married to so-and-so or I'll ferret out like who are the Christians and then they, beca- you know, I become a fan of them regardless of what team they're on and I'm all like in their personal lives and like talking about like, oh yeah, I think I saw them on Good Morning America or they had the TMZ did a story on them and then I'm like, whoa, that's a weird kind of fandom in and of itself following that kind of stuff. But all right, Tracy, go ahead. Talk to us about your... I'm not obsessed. <laughs> I refuse to go there, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, you know, I think being away from actually going to the games this yeah. far um, west, 
you just it's nice to watch it on TV, but I have gotten to a place where I don't obsess over it. Okay. I don't think I ever really obsessed over it, but I'm with you. We'll record, we'll watch the highlights, but we support the team, but in a healthy way. Yeah. I think it is easier when you have like distance, when you're caught up in the culture where so many more people are into it and they're like asking you about it or being like, oh, you know, it's harder, I think, to um, to pull away in that, in you know, in ways of that. But, well, let's talk about, I mean, I think there are some good things about um, sports too in the sense of like, you know, there's a certain sense of camaraderie that it builds and obviously sportsmanship, you know, anyone who played sports as a kid, what you learn from that. Uh, the whole idea of, yeah, being able to see great players be good examples um, in the culture and stuff. And, you know, when you find that person, you're like, oh, I'm so you know grateful for that. And you like root for them and stuff. So what um, what have you seen in your own life as far as sports just being kind of a rallying point for friends and family and people, you know? Well, for me, uh, sports has been a great outlet, not just for exercise, but friendships, Mm -hmm. because many of my closest friends have been guys that I've played softball with competitive softball. I've been coaching and playing for over 25 years. And, um, you know, just some of the friendships built out of that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, having a church team and Mm -hmm. getting to know the guys and praying with one another. I mean, really, I mean, really deep friendships have come out of that time together and, uh, you know, some of them lifelong going back to Oregon when I lived in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's been pretty special. I mean, it's an outlet. It's recreation. Mm-hmm. Um, being with other guys is fun. I, you know, I played a lot of tennis. I love golf and all of that, you know, just getting outdoors. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, my dad was always fond of saying that sports are a microcosm of life in certain ways, right? It, it can be kind of a pressure cooker. You see what someone's made of. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, especially sports, playing sports growing up, I think that's good because mm-hmm. uh, it, it can rub off some rough edges and you can learn some stuff about yourself. Uh, just the way you're, you're engaged in the sport. If it's a team sport, how are you uh, working with those around you, right? How are you sacrificing for the team? If it's an individual sport, that's, it has its own set of tests, but yeah, sports uh, are just a wonderful, wonderful thing and serve, it can be such a bonding agent um, with those that you participate in that with. And it's just, man, it's just so much fun. Like you said, Scott, getting out for exercise, that bonding as well. And just even, I played in like a, a kickball league, like a city mm-hmm. rec kickball league a couple of years ago. And that was a blast, mm-hmm. right? You just get out there and you get to, you have the opportunity to support one another, mm-hmm. um, whether or not uh, those individuals are, are more like athletically inclined, I would say, but mm-hmm. just to dig in as a team and support one another and accomplish something is pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I was talking to my husband last night about this, and he said, you know, growing up, sports probably kept him as a teenager out of so much trouble. And I think having your coach and your teammates, um, it just can really give kids an outlet that they don't have to have that peer pressure to go in another direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. It's interesting because I have, you know, I've only recently gotten into a few team sports, like including like being able to watch and follow an NFL game, which is still sometimes a challenge for me. I'm the one that's like, okay, where 
is the ball. <laughs> and then the people I'm watching with were like watching some obscure play that happened in one corner of the screen. And I'm like, okay. But anyway, I'm getting there. Um, but for me, like even things, you know, we just came off of the Olympics and stuff and thinking about the olden days when everyone watched the Olympics at the same time, you know, you watched it on TV and in the evening, everyone, and you followed along with your McDonald's stickers, you know, of collecting them off of your happy meals when I was a kid and all that kind of stuff. And it really was fun to be, cause I would say, and this actually plays into the, the question I kind of want to finish out with is you remember those great moments in sports. You know, everyone remembers, you know, for me, the, the Olympic moments of USA Gymnastics, Carrie Strug or Mary Lou Retton back in the day. And you still see these replayed on TV or great, you know, the Miracle on Ice and that kind of stuff. And um, other great things that have happened in sports. And so if you, my question is, if you could have been present for one great moment in sports history, one that you have heard about, one that you've seen replayed, what would you have loved to have seen live? And it could be like famous or, or not famous, or even like an era of sports, if that's easier to come up with, of just kind of being there for when this player was so great or this season was so great or whatever. What would you say? Well, it wouldn't be the ice bowl. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because that looked miserable uh-huh. in Green Bay. Yeah. But, um, man, the the game where Roger Stahl back through the Hail Mary, and that's where the Hail Mary came from, was okay. the pass to Drew Pearson where he caught it on his hip and went in, and the Cowboys then went to the Super Bowl that year because he – so what year are we talking with, about? Help. We're help talking. Us, uh, oh, this is like history. I should know this. Uh, I want to say seventy-five. Wow. Okay. Nineteen seventy-five. Unbelievable. Or the two thousand eleven more recent history Cardinal World Series win uh-huh. walk off. Uh-huh. That was unbelievable. Yep. I, I saw it on TV live, but wow. to be there in person would have been something else. Yeah, Incredible imagine? memories. Awesome. Well, obviously, I've got to go. Raiders related here. Mm-hmm. Uh, any one of their three Super Bowls, 77, 80, or 83, any okay. any one of those three would have been uh, a blast to see because I'm still waiting to see one in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to give you a non-Raiders one, I was pretty young um, when uh, Michael Jordan had his last year with the Chicago Bulls, mm-hmm. and I would have loved to be at his last game, that game six against Utah where he hit that shot. I, I remember vaguely watching it on TV, um, but man, I would have loved to have been there for that. Hmm. Cool. Um, I am torn between Herschel Walker getting the Heisman Trophy in 1982. Mm. I would have loved to have been to a few more of those games mm-hmm. um, to see him play. And then Phil Mickelson winning in um, this year as a 50-year-old golfer and um, PGA tournament. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, that's cool. I've seen, again, you know, so many of these things I didn't really grow up with. My dad and my brother talked sports a lot and stuff. But as I've gone back and looked at like, oh, you know, on YouTube, XYZ highlight reel of whatever or the best whatever it is of that year. Um, it is fun to see whether it's in football, some of the amazing catches and just the crazy, you know, touchdowns or whatever, or Olympics. I love to see the Olympics. I will say if I picked one thing, because I already exposed myself in playing badminton in high school. So let's talk synchronized <laughs> swimming in the Olympics. 
One of my friends actually was on the 96 synchronized swimming team that won gold in Atlanta Mm -hmm. um, back in the day. And so we're still in touch. And so just to know, to live vicariously through her and what it's like to actually be a gold medal Olympian and be like, I know her. Like, that is so cool. I know her. So it's just kind of fun to to see that and how her career has taken off since then and stuff. So pretty cool. But thanks, you guys. This was really fun. A fun conversation about this. Thanks for having us and exposing our addiction. Well, folks, we're here for today's culture segment, and I am going to introduce you today to Jonathan Evans. Uh, he is a, a bunch of things, including a pastor and author. He speaks a ton. Uh, he's a former NFL player. And um, I was joking with him before we started taping how, you know, I just love interviewing members of his family because he's the son of Tony Evans, who you have heard on this show before, as well as Priscilla Shire and Crystal Hurst Evans, all these folks, or Christian, <laughs> Crystal Evans Hurst and uh, other family members. And so... Um, But we're going to talk to Jonathan today. And Jonathan, welcome to The Boundless Show. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, You wrote a book titled Your Time Is Now, Get What God Has Given You. And around, you know, we were just saying how like these themes around like, oh, can I really trust God with my future? What does it mean for me to be a part of the, the kingdom work that God is doing? All great questions. And so... I kind of want to kick it off with a little bit of your own story because you actually um, were signed to play for the Dallas Cowboys, which was pretty much your dream. And, you know, we all craft our dreams and we think like, okay, now I'm all set. This is exactly what I'm going to do. Um, But God maybe had some different plans. So explain that little bit of a journey for us. Yeah, so my dream was to play in the NFL. I mean, you know, as as an athlete my whole life, you know, that's what I look towards. I just wanted to, you know, at least have the opportunity where I run out of the tunnel, get the lights, camera, action, just part of that whole scene. And, um, you know, I got picked up by the Dallas Cowboys in 2005, uh, but wasn't there long. I got cut and um, didn't have long to cry about it because I'm from Dallas. It was like a 20-minute drive. But, uh, you know, it didn't work out. And so, you know, to make a long story short, I ended up playing on, you know, five teams in about six years. You know, I was going from team to team getting cut, things not working out well, and and I was just uh, struggling to make it. Um, everything was going wrong. I mean, I got hurt, carted off the field, got cut, got traded. I mean, I was all over the place, and I was asking God, why in the world is this happening? And then finally, in um, 2011, I got called by the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, they said, we want you to come back. Um, and I remember being in the in the tunnel in 2011, about to run out to play the New York Jets. And I called my dad in the tunnel, and I said, "Dad, we did it." 
I made it. I'm about to run out of the tunnel. And at that moment, he said, amen, son, amen. And, I, you know, what you should be thinking is, why in the world do you have your cell phones in the tunnel? <laughs> and the reason why is because my first time really running out in a stable position with one team uh, was as a chaplain and not as a player. And, you know, God took me through all of those things, being cut, traded, all of those things in the NFL, not because he didn't want me to run out of the tunnel, but because he did. He just wanted me to run out his way. And so I was able to minister at a higher level. I've been in the NFL. This is my 10th year as the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. I run out of the tunnel every single week, and I don't have to get hurt. I don't have to have any headaches. I don't have to have any surgeries. You know, he has me in there for his purposes, for his good, for his glory. And um, he used my experiences in order to make sure I was ready to do what he wanted me to do in the tunnel that he wanted me to run out of. And so that's the encouragement. The encouragement is your time is now because God doesn't waste anything and he uses everything. And so a lot of people are waiting on something that they're already in, and they need to recognize that um, God works all things out for good uh, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, and that's exactly what he did for me. That's exactly what he'll do for you. Yeah, and it's really good because, you know, obviously the the title of your book is Your Time is Now, and you really focus on that word now um, because so many of us are likely to constantly be living in the future and want to say, okay, but what's next or what's better or what can I do differently? And we want to reshape ourselves or reinvent ourselves and make all these things happen. But you even point to some biblical examples. I know you use... um, Uh, You know, the example of Sarah and the example of Noah and even David, the fact that, you know, David wasn't sitting there in a in a field with the sheep saying, oh, I can't wait till I'm king. I mean, that wasn't even on his radar. And so he you know, they were forced to reckon with what they were doing right now. And why do you how can we better kind of rest in in where we are uh, with what God has for us now, when the culture is so pressuring us to be bigger and better and in the future with our projections in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you brought up the illustration that he was leading sheep, and the future call that he didn't know was coming, but the future call was that he would lead God's sheep, because God connects all of the dots. And so you, we need to learn to flourish where we're planted currently. Because if we can flourish where we're planted currently, all God is going to do is is take you from leading those sheep to leading his sheep. In other words, all he did was upgrade David's original call. And when you're faithful where you are, you're letting God know that you will be faithful where he wants to take you. And a lot of people are unfaithful where they are because they skip the journey for the goal, not realizing that the journey is what readies you for the goal that you're excited about. And God may tweak it. God may turn it. God may uh, change it. God may add nuances to it that you're totally unaware of. And so because of that, we have to learn to be content where we are while simultaneously not being complacent, knowing that God wants to take us uh, further than where we are because he's not going to leave us or forsake us, and he is faithful to complete what he started, the Bible says. And so what we just have to do is learn to be faithful with where God has us, knowing that if it's his plan, he will move us when we're ready. You know, Samuel came to anoint a king, and David didn't know that time was coming, but the time was coming. But he was still experiencing his now moment leading those sheep, because God would use everything that he was doing for where he was going. Yeah. 
Well, you talk um, at length in the book about this tension between going and waiting. And I think that applies here because talk us through a little bit. I think we, we talk even in Christian culture a lot about like, okay, well, we need to be Christians of action. We need to be bold. We need to move out, you know, and uh, and, and do what we feel, you know, is, is a, a risk for the kingdom or whatever. And then other times we're like, no, we need to trust God. We need to be willing to wait. We need to be willing to to sit back and and see and not, you know, take the reins where where God should have the reins. How do we do both of those in appropriate circumstances and really realize that, okay, sometimes we're supposed to just be waiting and trusting, and sometimes God is calling us to step out. How do we practically apply that? Well, yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a great question. It's it's all about discerning the voice of God. And um I think one of the things that we have to understand is that a lot of people don't step into their calling because of fear. A lot of people won't step into what God is calling them to do because they're uncomfortable. And those are really signs that God is actually pushing you. When you can't shake an idea or you can't shake a direction or you can't shake a a, a job description or you can't shake that you continue to feel a sense that I need to go in this direction, but that direction I'm afraid of. That direction, I don't feel like I have the ability. That direction, I'm unsure about. You still can't shake it. You might be running into the voice of God because God is not worried about your comfort zone. He's worried about the calling. And a lot of times, he'll shake you up at your comfort zone for your calling. If you look at Moses, he told him, let my people go. And Moses said in Exodus 3, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? So he had doubt because the calling was so big. He had doubt because... Um, The purpose was so big, and so that doubt was a hindrance, that fear was a hindrance to what God was calling him to do. And then a few verses later, after Moses says, who am I? God says, I am. And so God will often put you in positions where you have to focus on who he is and not who you are, where you have to move from your comfort zone to your calling because you move from independence to dependence. And God, for your calling, will often put you in a position of dependence which often makes means that you have to ride through fear and ride through doubt and ride through uncomfortable uh, the uncomfortable feelings in order to experience what he wants you to do. So if anybody's hearing that voice of God, that that pick and prod of the spirit, that man, for years I've been thinking about this, for months I've been thinking about this, for weeks I've been thinking about this, but my own insecurities is what's stopping me from doing it, then you're probably hearing the voice of God because it's an unsettling voice. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth are his ways from your ways and his thoughts from your thoughts. So he's not thinking what you're thinking. He's making you uncomfortable from what you're thinking to the place where he wants you to go. And so that's the evidence that God is speaking to you, and he's uh, wanting you to ignore yourself and listen to him. But then on the other side, you have waiting. And a lot of times we can, you know, push buttons and go directions that God has not called us into because of our own ideas, um, because of our own emotions. And you, you'll run into a lot of roadblocks where doors are shutting and things aren't working out, and there are all of these obstacles that are in your way. So on one hand, you have a calling that says, I'm uncomfortable to go. But on the other hand, you have this waiting roadblocks that will hit you that say, that says it's not time to go. And so there's a difference between I have a fear to go and there's a difference between it's not time to go. 
And those roadblocks are two different things. One of them is personal. The other one is objective. And so when we learn to see those things differently, we learn to understand when it's time that, that God is saying wait and when it's time God is saying go. Yeah. I think it's also helpful um, to think, you know, about what what is the end goal? What are what are we trying to, or what are we hoping that at the end of our life, uh, you know, God God is going to say, God is going to see in us. And you tell a pretty powerful story in the book about. Um, facing this kind of head on after Jerry Brown Jr.'s death and uh, saying, you know, what happened, it was it was basically them asking for, in acknowledgement of his death, a moment of silence. Why did that phrase impact you so profoundly? Yes, that had a profound impact on me. I mean, just being in that environment where you experience a, a player death right before a game and uh, the guys were crying, the guys were, you know, definitely grieving and um you know, that, that life was important. It was an important life to family, friends, uh, to everything that he meant to the Cowboys and the, the teams before that in the NFL. Uh, but when we got to Cincinnati to play the Bengals, um, you know, you get on the line to do the national anthem and fly the planes over the building, and the announcer said, let's give a moment of silence to Jerry Brown Jr. And while that is a respectful thing that we do, after 20 seconds, um, he said, you know, all right, we came here to see a football game and kick the ball off. The music starts playing. The crowd starts going wild. And I just dawned on me that we're about to give three hours uh, to a football game, but we were only able to give a life 20 seconds. And I looked at DeMarcus Ware, who's going to be a future Hall of Famer, and I said, you know what, even in being a Hall of Famer, when your time is done, you know what, we're going to be able to give you as human beings about 20 seconds of silence. That no matter what you achieve in this world and in this life, people don't have much for you when your time is done. So are we going to play and live for you? for people, or are we going to play and live for God who has an eternity in his hands? And it became obvious at that moment that right now I need to start giving, and everybody on the team at that moment needs to start giving their life to God, giving their effort to God, giving their purpose to God, their dreams, their destiny to God, because he's the one who has an eternity in his hands, and he's the one, the head coach, who's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so a lot of people are frustrated. They're living for followers. They're living for fans. They're living for views. They're living for um, all of these different things, and and everything that they're living for um, will drop them at the moment that they drop. And so I just think that it was a good reality check for us and um, for us all to realize that the most important thing we can do is give our lives to God and let Him define who we are and how we go. Yeah. And it's so countercultural because everyone is telling us now to get more followers, get more fans, that that's what defines influence and impact and all that. And so it's very hard to live counterculturally. Um, talk to, you know, think to the person listening, um, Jonathan, who's maybe a, you know, maybe they're just starting out in their career, they're working in an office, or maybe they're, you know, in a classroom, or maybe they were furloughed because of COVID from their job, and they really do feel stuck. They're just kind of in a position where they're like, man, I don't like my job, and maybe I'm in a small church where there aren't a lot of people my age, and how could God really want me here? And they're questioning, like, could God be doing anything in this? What, like on an average day of the week, what what would you recommend for them to, how could they refocus to start being about the right things, you know, and, and helping trust, helping themselves trust God to get unstuck out of that place? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got to pull our confidence up in who God is no matter where we are. 
Um, and those are the times in life where we need that faith, that we need that, that understanding. I mean, you know, like we said, you know, David was just leading sheep. Moses was in Midian uh, leading sheep. These were places that were nobody knew, knew, knew either where they were, what they were doing, or nobody really even knew who they were. Um, they were in the smallest uh, places, and, and the list goes on and on, you know, in the Bible of, of people who made it to, you know, become Hall of Famers, so to speak, that that were no-name people who had I mean, Rahab, uh, you know, a prostitute in Jericho who was unnamed, didn't have a good job, um, who suddenly is in the lineage of Jesus Christ because of her faith. And so we need to compare ourselves to the right people. And a lot of times what we do is we compare ourselves to posts. We compare ourselves, we, we, we look around on social media, and we're seeing all of these posts, and we're like, man, I wish I was there. Well, what people don't realize is those posts are just the highlights. Those posts aren't the reality of that person's life. They post the best stuff. They post the best sound bites. They post the best pictures. And we're comparing ourselves to a false narrative. We need to compare ourselves to the real narrative. And the real narrative is that even God himself emptied himself, becoming a bondservant, taking on the likeness of man before he was ever exalted and lifted up. Uh, the real narrative is all of the people in the Bible who God used started. You know, Gideon was in the wine press. Uh, hacking before he ever took 300 men to go to go uh, win the war. I mean, there, if you look at the real narrative and the real post characters give, they start behind a desk. They start in the little places. They start in the minute places. They start in the unknown places before they ever get to the places where God uses them. Because again, God doesn't waste anything, and He uses everything. And so that's the real narrative. And so you may not be in the place you want to be, but you might be in the place where God wants you to be for where he's taking you and for how he's going to use you. Because nobody can really do ministry without misery. My mom told me that every great ministry comes from some level of misery. And so if you don't go through the misery, then how are you going to be good in the ministry? And that's exactly how God uses you. That's exactly what he'll take you through. And that's where you have to find confidence. Yeah. Which is uh, so interesting because I know in in the book you're pretty honest about talking about your own struggle there, even in comparison with your own family members. And I think it's funny. It's very easy for us to look around us and say, well, why do they have a head start? Or why why are they so confident in what you felt called, you know, that you've called them to do? Um, But I would imagine, and maybe you can tell on yourself and also tell on a, a couple of your family members here, all of us struggle with feelings of inadequacy and probably all of us look around, you know, anyone, there's, there's someone that, you know, has more Instagram followers than Tony and Priscilla, you know, and so it's like we can all be caught up in this comparison trap. So um, what would you say to that and, and good strategies for getting our, our heads out of that and looking Godward? Well, I think it's important, especially in this world of social media, where it's so easily to, easy to compare to everyone is realizing what my mom had to tell me as I was comparing myself to Priscilla and my dad and Anthony and Crystal and and everyone just quite naturally because I'm the baby of the family, so I'm following all the time um, in those comparisons. And my my mom just asked a simple question. She just said, "Uh, what size shoe do you wear? I said, 13. She said, well, what size shoe does your dad wear? I said, 10 and a half. She said, see, if you try to put on his shoes, you're going to crush your feet. And what she was saying was fairly simple. She was just saying, you're a masterpiece. There is no you on the planet. There's 7 billion people and only one you for a reason. And so the worst thing you can do is try to live somebody else's life. Because, And she just straight up told me, she said, you can never be as good as Tony Evans. I mean, you, you'll, it'll never happen. 
But guess what? Tony Evans can never be as good as you. And so if you start focusing on Priscilla and Tony Evans, even though you can learn from them and grow from them, which I do and I'm happy to do that, um, if you start focusing on being them or trying to uh, live your life vicariously through what what they've achieved, you'll never achieve what God wants you to achieve. And so we need to be confident in the fact that there's 7 billion people and only one us. And um, and when you learn yourself and when you let God lead you and give your life to God, you'll find out that it's true that the manufacturer knows exactly why he made the product. And living a life apart from him means that the product will never find out what it was created to do. And so that's what we're called to do, and, and we're individuals, and he's called us to live, live as that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, we, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's very encouraging, and it's exciting to see you kind of on this end of the story and realizing, like you said, what God has done, the fact that you are uh, running through the tunnel now in in that respect. Um, Again, folks, the book is Your Time Is Now, Get What God Has Given You. We've been talking to Jonathan Evans, uh, who is a pastor, an author, a speaker, and chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I want you to know that this book, we want to make it available to you uh, for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So if you go to boundless.org, and you can, in fact, just search for episode 710-710, that's this episode, you'll see the book cover there. Click on it. Give a gift to Boundless of any amount for the work that we already do, and we will send this book to you as our thank you. And so it's a great way to get it into your hands. Maybe you can read it, pass it along to a friend, have a conversation about it. And it's just a great way to get looking forward uh, into the life that God has for you right now, as well as what he might have for you in the future. But you only have to worry about the now. So that's good. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you for having me.
Well, folks, as we finish out the show, we open up our inbox and we love to do that because these are your questions and uh, they come to us in real time and real space. And we always bring in one of our experts to answer uh, these questions for you. And so today I have got Pastor Mark Bates here. Hey, Mark. Hello, Lisa. Good, Good to, be to here. have you here. So um, for those of you who've listened to the show, you know that he used to be my pastor until he decided to go into full-time missions administration, which we're okay with too. It's a good place to be. So, all right, but you're still going to answer this question because this okay. is a tricky one. Okay, one of uh, our listener says, my brother's been dating someone and my mom is allowing them to sleep together when they visit. I think my mom's a Christian and I'm quite certain my brother and his girlfriend are unbelievers. Since it's not my house and I'm merely a guest, I'm not sure how I should respond to this. I'm not sure if being around this and saying nothing is somehow approving of it. On the other hand, I'm not sure if saying something or seeking another place to stay when they visit would push them away from me, and more importantly, push them away from God. To make matters worse, I have a lot of sin in my past, so I'm concerned about being seen as a hypocrite. Well, great question. I appreciate the spirit of that because um, I'm assuming this person loves their brother, loves their mother, and they're motivated out of love. And at the same time, you know, obviously we live in a world that has a very different sexual ethic than we do. And so as Christians, um, you know, we obviously believe sleeping together outside of marriage is wrong. And so I, I get the heart of that. But I think the, the question here is, is not whether or not we as Christians condone this behavior. Obviously we don't. And I think that, you know, should be clear. In fact, probably the brother knows that already, that this Christian doesn't condone the behavior. The question is, how do we interact with a non-Christian when a non-Christian is engaging in sinful behavior? And the Apostle Paul actually addresses this in First uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read this. He says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So that's what we have here. Now, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. So, so Paul is not saying don't associate with non-Christians who engage in swindle, greed, and uh, sexual immorality. It says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an evildoer, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church to whom you are to judge, God judges those outside, purge the evil person from you. Now, notice that Paul does not expect the non-Christians to act like Christians. And sometimes we put a code of conduct on people who do not have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's what enables us to, to live uh, God's commands. And it's, so he never commands us not to hang out with people who are sexually immoral, because that would mean he'd say you have to eject from the planet. So mm -hmm. that's not going to work. Uh, but he does say, uh, that how we treat Christians and non-Christians is very different. We are not to judge outsiders. However, for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we do hold them to account. And oftentimes, I think the church has this backwards. We hold non-Christians to account. We point out their sins, their flaws, and oftentimes think about uh, drunkard, reviler, swindler, you know, greedy. You know, we, we let greed go by all the time, and yet he says we're supposed to call those to account. So Paul is saying, in many ways, we've got this reversed, uh, that we hold people in the church to account, not non-Christians to account for this. So I would say instead of focusing on the sin of the, of the unbeliever, and again, I think this person hints at this. He's saying, you know, I've got sin in my own life. And so we don't want to be saying, hey, I've got it together and you don't. Instead, I'd say, well, why don't you focus on 
living a beautiful life before this person. Living according to God's law, that's a beautiful life. Repenting when you fail to live a beautiful life. Let them see what the Christian life really is like. I think most non-Christians have not ever seen a Christian repent. And so they get a false idea of what the gospel actually is. You know, you think the brother's probably expecting judgment. But what if you come instead and say, you know, I love you. You're my brother. I don't, I'm not expecting you to, to live according to God's law. I got, I'm not here to judge you. Paul says we don't judge, so let's live according to God's law instead. I think there's another parallel, and that's 1 Peter chapter 3, and it talks about wives if they're living with an unbelieving husband. It says, what do they do? Uh, you know, he says, wives, henpeck your husbands till they live morally. You know, it's not what he says. He says to live with them in a gentle and quiet way. And it says really by, again, by their beautiful life, without a word, their husband may be one. And so I uh, say this. I think that God's word calls us not to judge the unbeliever. And uh, instead, by our, our gentleness, our quietness, uh, to, to point them to the beauty of Christ. All right. Okay, well, thank you so much for weighing in on that. And it is tricky because I think a lot of folks would be, um, you know, would say, okay, but what do I do in the sense of like, you know, having them at my place and being like, okay, right. am I, should I be okay with that? Do I say, you know, come on in and here's your room and stuff? Like, what would you say to that? Yeah, and I think, I think again, it's, it's one of those, I think it's a difficult question. I think oftentimes, too, we look at the, the Bible, oftentimes gives us wisdom. And there's a difference between wisdom and law. And so I don't find a law in the Bible about this, uh, about what you allow people to do and not to do in your home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say here, in this case, I don't think, I think it'd be a boundary issue for her to tell her mother what, or his mother mm-hmm. what their p- parents should do. Mm-hmm. In the case of um, uh, you know, someone coming to, to your home who's living together or sleeping together, you know, there could be so many different circumstances. Let's say they're, they're 17. Well, I think you handle that in one way. What if they're, you know, um, you know, 40 years old, they've been living together for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, um, again, I think my, I would focus on how can I show this person love? Trust me, uh, I don't know of any non-Christians who would think that I would think sleeping together outside of marriage is okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so, but I do think they're going to wonder, am I going to love them? Am I going to care about them? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, well, thanks so much, Mark, for weighing in on that. Um, yeah, everyone, okay, that is it for this week's show. I mean, we always finish out, like I said, with our inbox. And so um, this week, actually, I will let you know that for any of you that, um, you know, you we answer a lot of, like, serious questions here on the show. Some of you write in about whether it is, you know, questions about sexual sin, whether it's about addictive behaviors, whatever, um, it runs the gamut. We actually have a team of counselors here. Many of them are on the show answering these inbox questions for us from time to time. And uh, you can actually get a free consultation with one of our counselors if you just need that little nudge to kind of move ahead and be like, what do, you know, what what kind of direction maybe could I get? And a lot of our counselors will recommend resources or they will even um, suggest a counselor in your area who has already been vetted by our team, um, a Christ-centered counselor. And so if you go to focusonthefamily.com, you will see, you will be able to click on a link for finding a counselor, talking to a counselor there, or you can call 1-800-A-FAMILY, that's 1-800, the letter A and the word family, and ask to speak to a counselor and maybe get that first step moving in the right direction for a question you might have personally on this issue. So 
Uh, that is it for this week's show. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.